0: Hey listeners, we are back with one more episode before we go on break. Today's discussion is with the most fun and amazingly talented individual, Anna Jane Edmonds. Anna Jane can do it all. She's a singer, dancer, actor, producer, and filmmaker, and we're lucky enough to have her here on our show. So sit tight because this discussion will blow your minds, especially for those trying to get into or... Who are already starting to get into the film and entertainment industry. Remember to give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at I underscore watched underscore that. So let me be quiet. Without further ado, here is Anna Jane Edmonds.
1: Crime is in right now. It is. It so really is. I'm just here to try and help diversify your audience base. <laughs> Thank you. Um,
0: Thank you so much, AJ. You're welcome.
1: You're welcome. <laughs> And thank you for doing this with us. This is so yeah. cool. Yeah, oh, thank I'm you s- so much. I'm so grateful. This is so much fun. And um, yeah, I love Fran. I was excited to hear that you had another podcast other than just Firecracker. I mean, just the the person with everything going on.
0: Yeah, another one. It's fun. It's cool. TV shows, <laughs> movies, fly murders. What else? <laughs> what else
1: can we cover? You want to talk about audition tactics? That's what that is. Anybody? Oh. I'm waiting for someone to ask me if I'm a meteorologist <laughs> <laughs> no one's asked yet well I will and we'll do that <laughs> it'll be in here and then I'll I'll ask that but
0: Kyle can start we can get into it I yes. think sure. very fun yes so AJ tell us about yourself where'd you grow up
1: yeah so I I was born in Kingston oh, okay. Ontario so I, I'm just about you know two and a half hours out of Toronto but I grew up in a very unique way. So I was born in Kingston. Uh, Biologically, I'm the first born of two to my parents. And then um, because my parents are such incredible people, um, when I was 11, I became the middle of three
0: Mm.
1: because my mom worked internationally. So a good portion of my childhood was actually traveling with my mom uh, around Europe. So she was part of uh, a Queen's University program that was putting rehabilitation centers in countries that were affected by war so specifically bosnia croatia serbia albania and kosovo uh, in the 90s and so i got an older sister when i was 11 and she was just 17 or 18 when she joined us and she had been my mom's translator and then um yeah when i was 20 i got another younger brother so i became the second of four and he's from north of kingston so technically born in kingston most of my formative years were spent on an airplane bouncing around the world with my mom and uh collecting kids <laughs> nicely you know like yeah home yeah
0: oh, that's very cool um how did you get involved in acting singing and filmmaking
1: yeah so I have this very distinct memory of being six and my dad is I'm gonna <laughs> date myself my father was reading a newspaper <laughs> at the kitchen table and um he just sort of asked if I wanted to take piano. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I don't know what that is. And so I got enrolled in piano lessons. And they were, it was in this basement of this woman's house in our neighborhood. Um, and there were like 10 pianos. And she was teaching all these little kids who were just like plunking away. And um, while I was there, I guess I showed some sort of interest in singing to the music that we were playing. And this, she didn't actually teach. Uh, any vocals. Um, and um, so I was then, you know, my parents looked around Kingston, they found another vocal coach. I was about seven, got involved in musical theater, started training with this woman. I trained with her from when I was seven until I was 17 uh, when I moved away from home. So I did musical theater all throughout my childhood, um, starting in the Wizard of Oz. And I had I think I was in a show every year until I graduated high school. And wow. went to Randolph where I did more musical theater. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I was always surrounded by the arts. Like, I, uh, when I was at high school, a really close friend of mine was making his first feature, because that's what you do at, at 14. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nick Arnold was making a feature called The Vicious Circle, which was about bullying in high school. And it was like a 152 page script, which all of us that yeah. work in film now know that, like, you never make a 152 page script. But he did, and I was his assistant director, and I did uh, a bit of script development with him. I say with air quotes because I was 14, (laughs) 14 or 15. Um, Yeah, we worked on The Vicious Circle, and then I ended up composing music with a friend of mine in high school for a documentary he made. So we did a lot of entertainment-based things Mm -hmm. in high school. It's always been something inside of me has always wanted to entertain. That's so cute.
0: Yeah, that's amazing <laughs> um,
1: Kyle before you go on to your next
0: one mm-hmm. hearing you did musical theater what was like what was your favorite production to
1: do Wizard of Oz I've done it twice and it is my favorite movie and it's my favorite musical um, I never got to play Dorothy but I was always like I was her understudy once <laughs> so close like I've never wanted anyone to like be physically hurt before <laughs> but I did kind of hope that she might get like the stomach flu <laughs> Never happened. Um, the Wizard of Oz. I I just love the journey of Dorothy and have have always loved it. Mm-hmm. So, but I did Wizard of Oz. I did Grease. Um, been in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh, funny thing happened on the way to the Forum. Mm. Annie. No, oh. no, I wasn't in an Annie.
0: No, <laughs> oh, okay. I wanted to
1: be in an Annie. <laughs> I'm like, what was that other one I was in? Oliver, the one name show. Oh. Oliver, I was in.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was quite a mixed bag. Peter Pan, that's another one.
0: Oh, nice. Wow. That's fun.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) Sorry, Kyle, you can go now. Oh, no, don't be sorry. That was great to hear. Um, So Pocket Film School, how did it come to be?
1: Yeah, so I graduated from high school when I was 17 Mm -hmm. and moved straight to Toronto to go to Randolph. And when I was at Randolph, I started realizing that I wanted to be a performer, there was something more to me that was telling me that I needed to try out other stuff as well. And um, I was just really curious outside of being a performer, like what else do people in entertainment do? Like how do you how do you uh, continue investing in a career and not exclusively rely on uh, a career as an actor? I'll be honest, that was also rooted in the fact that I'm not a customer service person. And I knew that to have a dedicated career as an actor, you had to pretend to like people. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I am too deeply sarcastic to survive working. Like I worked at Cobb's Bread for years and I just, I don't, I, I don't believe the customer is always right. So anyways, I I went to university (laughs) and I got a, I got a degree in media and the public interest, which was studying essentially how film affects cultural psyches and how narrative film can be really dangerous to the human mind, depending on the story that's being told. So I was fascinated by war movies during times of war, or war movies that come out just afterwards, and how when you made it a narrative, it shifted people's perception of reality. Whereas if it's a documentary, it's almost like it's a political conversation, Mm -hmm. And someone is, there's one person on one side and there's another person on the other. Whereas when it's narrative, it's less political and more entertainment. And when you make something entertainment, it becomes less real. And then the situation (laughs) that's being covered risks not being engaged with in in a really important manner. So that's what I studied at university. It was a bit dark, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. But um, it ended up being foundational for me as I entered my career as a producer because I kept thinking back to the type of movies I wanted to make and the narrative things that were um, affecting people and what people watched and why. And so throughout my career as a producer, I've always liked investing time in others who are just entering the field or are curious. And um, that was sparked by the fact that I really only had one person in my early career that was invested in teaching me and then and like really carrying me through a production where like she showed me the ropes and like, I just lied. I was like, I know how to make a movie. <laughs> and she was like, I know you don't, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but I was finding as, as I was taking on a lot of other work, I was working with a lot of people out of um, film schools or even who had just wanted to work in film that were missing foundational skills about being on set, how to communicate with people, how to talk on a walkie what are all the different roles? Like, what is a gaffer? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, and it was kind of surprising to me and my colleagues that we were having to teach these foundational skills in the middle of producing something and producing something indie, right? So, you know, that means that it's like, you're a producer, but you're also probably the AD, the craft person, you know, you're paing for yourself. You haven't slept in 10 days and I'm still investing time into people because you know I believe anyone that wants to be in film is the generation of film that's coming up and and you should give everybody you know space to learn. Mm-hmm. But it was taking a lot of time. And so myself and uh Gina Simone and Carl Genice kind of sat down and and Zach Ramlin and Charlie Hamilton, sorry. Um we all sat down and said, you know, how do we create something where In your pocket, if you have a problem on set, or someone says something like, you know, 10-1, gaffers 10-1 over a walkie, and you're like, oh shit, do I need to do something about that? (laughs) Um, You know, you could go onto your phone, go into pocket film school, go to the production course, and you'll see a write-up on what the terms mean. And then you can actually reference what it is without asking anybody. Not that there's a problem with asking questions on set, but there was something about giving everyone the tools to be able to answer questions themselves, go in really prepared and know what's happening around them on an entry level. Pocket Film School is built for people who maybe have a little bit of an idea of what happens on film, uh, what it's like being on a set, and maybe have a little bit of an idea of like the big world picture of making movies, but don't really really know and it was it was also really interesting um, it, throughout our development i had taught a course at uh, a toronto school and i had learned that there were some foundational things that they had hadn't been taught mm-hmm. like what a producer does yeah. so i'm gonna i'm gonna pose the question to the two of you what does a producer do yeah. <laughs> Okay, so first,
0: um, with my knowledge from Centennial College, I guess I should know. I produced two films, so I should know <laughs> to produce. Um, I know budgeting, uh, sc- uh scheduling, uh, I l- money m- budgeting, yeah, money, yeah, money, 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 money. I don't know, like controlling, kind of. That's what <laughs> I like to keep people in line. Yeah. Like, keep them in check. Yeah, put them in check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when does a producer's job start? Oh, before, um, with pre-production, right? Yeah. like Yeah, before it, before it even starts. Like, very- so here's,
1: here's the thing that, and that everything you're saying is everything that I've been told. My job as a producer starts the moment a script is finished. Okay. And it, oh, is, yeah. it is my job as a producer or a creative producer, depending on what you call it, is I actually work directly beside the writer. Often before there's a director, before there's anything packaged to go to money people or a budget is built, I spend a lot of my time developing stories with writers and other creatives. And that is a big knowledge gap in Canada. And that is like foundational in the United States. Like I worked in Los Angeles for a couple of years in the development office. And part of Part of that work was me working with writers, me sitting down, doing notes and redeveloping scripts to become sellable products. Mm -hmm. And then I came back to Canada as a producer, really excited to produce in my home country. And people just kept telling me how much money they needed. Mm. But that's not what I do. Like I, was never, I, I never intended to be the producer that went out uh, for money. Like uh, that, that was actually something that I always looked to find someone else because I'm a creative person. I come from a, an actor's background and a storytelling background, and I really wanted to be uh, invested in that side. And then the packaging happens. You put the right team together, and then you go out for money, and then you do your pre-sales, and then you go into prep, and then you go into production, post, festivals, sales. Now, sales can come in and often does on larger budgets. Sales and where it's going after festivals happens in development um, more often than not. But um, everything you said to me, Fran, is exactly what everyone else I spoke to that had just graduated from a film program would say. Mm -hmm. One person who was even like, don't you just manage craft? And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) don't you just manage craft? It's like my (laughs) least favorite thing to do on set. Like I get so petty about it. I'm like, oh, you eat? Oh, you're complaining about the free food that's on set? Go and eat a 25th Oreo.
0: Okay. I would. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And I did. Um, But, you know, it was one of these things where I went, if if you truly want to make a movie, Mm -hmm. it's really important that you understand where it starts and where it ends. You know, one of the best lessons I had out of the gate was that Every movie you make is a business, mm-hmm. and and as a producer, you have to both be creative and have a business mind. You have to know that what you're holding is a product, and that product has to be sold, and you have to get people to want it. And there has always been a bit of a gap, in, in my view, in the Canadian system where we we look at products we look at films less like marketable products and more like things we have to make because we are government funded. So they have to spend the money every year. So something has to get made, but we don't see a lot of Canadian films in mainstream because we don't, in my view, really talk to the audience. We don't really spend a lot of time developing the story so that by the time it hits the theaters or hits streaming, people are curious and intrigued and really want to be a part of it. Um, so that was a huge spark of interest in Pocket Film School was how do we prove that filmmaking is so much larger than just showing up on set? You know, How do you, we give the tools to people to say, this is the spectrum of what you're going to learn. And this is what, like, if you wanna be a filmmaker, if you wanna be a producer, this is what you need to know. Mm-hmm. And this is the journey you're gonna go on. You know, like one film as a business in taxes lives for seven years before you can close it, right? From a tax perspective, because they can audit you. Like I still, I like wake up sometimes being like, I really hope I don't get audited on that (laughs) film from six years ago. You know, I'd be fine because I'm an adult and I take care of things properly and I'm (laughs) organized, but I'm still like, God, I'm going to have to remember where that coffee receipt went, (laughs) you know, like that, that is filmmaking. And when you look at it like a business, your framing of what you're doing is a bit different Mm. and your engagement with being a filmmaker in my view changes a bit. And I am also a big supporter of ensuring that producers know they are also filmmakers because a director's dream doesn't come to life. If there isn't somebody that knows how to make it happen and filmmakers are teams. And that was another thing that was really important in pocket film school is the foundation of our school of the course you take is the collaboration element it's like filmmaking un- unless you're leaning into being a youtuber which is incredible I mean the things that youtubers do blow my mind mm-hmm. the, the solo uh filming that they're able to do the like all-encompassing mm-hmm. work like Zach Ramelin, who's on our team um he's a is an incredible filmmaker and he's very very good on his own he Leans more into that than he does into collaborative filmmaking now because it's something that he's found a lot of comfort in. Whereas the three of us that are still managing Pocket Film School are like really collaborative people. Mm-hmm. Like I thrive off working on a team. Mm-hmm. I I much prefer looking at a film as a journey you're about to go on with a group of people than a one-off thing that's going to happen. You know, it's a big investment making a movie, whether you're making a one-minute short or you're making a two hour feature, you know, you have to put the right team together. You have to know how to communicate and you have to know how to really work with people. And that's, that's a key foundational trait of a good producer is knowing how to put together an effective team. That was a very long answer to where did. To was, a, that was a great from.
0: answer. I yeah. like, I love this. <laughs>
1: It was a fun answer.
0: I think we learned a lot as recent graduates. We also learned a little bit more that maybe kind of went over our heads or maybe they missed the boat a little bit. I don't know. But
1: um, it was a great answer. Good. And it's not about missing the boat, right? There are so many aspects to film. It is impossible to learn them all until your hands are in inside a film and like inside a film with people that don't have the same knowledge as you. Like that's the other thing is there are films you make at school or films you make when you're a teenager with people that, you know, mm-hmm. that's one way of making movies and it's very effective. And it's a great way as a head of department now, so a producer, a director, a cinematographer to sort of come up with your style, but where the real collaborative world sets in is when you start hiring people that you've never met before yeah. and you start building a team outside of your comfort zone. And, you know, how do you build a really good team? How do you get people to believe in you? Because as all of us know, the first couple movies, you make have no money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? So like, you're like, hello, I pay in hugs and high fives. <laughs> and you know, what's the phrase? Uh, it'll be, it'll look great on your reel. You want to know what an electrician doesn't have a (laughs) real What? They don't need it because their skill set is like, you know, all right. Do you know how to work with lights and electricity? Yeah. Hired. Please don't (laughs) light us on fire. You know, like, so you, you have to know when you are leading independent films that are working with no, but no budget people you're bringing on and how you keep them motivated, focused, and excited when they aren't making a lot of money. And that is, that's really hard, you know, and all of us have been on movies where you kind of walked away and went, why did I just waste all that time? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, you know, did I learn anything? Maybe some things of what I don't ever want to do again, which is a very (laughs) important lesson. But, you know, like it, part of what we really try to teach in our, our flagship course is that collaboration and looking around you at the people that are contributing time and energy, regardless of pay scale are, are the heart of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And the moment you lose that in the indie world is the moment things fall apart. That's good,
0: thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, the next question is that the, school, the school's online episodes are up like to eight minutes long because you want them to be easy and to consume and digest. What was the thought of the process of having short episodes for your students.
1: So the spirit of pocket film school is kind of in the name. Like we really wanted this to be like, you have to 10 one, but not actually like, you're going to go and like go to the bathroom and watch a five minute video Mm -hmm. about, you know how does production run? You know, it's like, you're, you're the cinematographer air quotes. Like you've been hired to be the camera person. You've never done it before but you don't want to tell people that you've never done it. So you'd go and watch the production episode that says you block light, shoot, block mm-hmm. the scene, light it for the blocking, shoot it for the lighting and the blocking, you know, and like that's foundational stuff. So we wanted it to be that you could go and on your phone, just like really quickly watch a condensed version of a lesson and then be able to go back to what you were doing with that knowledge. And that shorter episodes, I mean, all of us know, like we can't concentrate for more than five minutes, really. Um, So how do you take all this information? And it is overwhelming. And and, and we have had feedback saying like, holy mackerel, like I had no idea I was getting myself into this much content because it is a lot of content. We try and cover as much as we can, whether or not you want to learn it or you think you need to learn it. Like we include composing and visual effects because – I think it's important in development that you're thinking about composition. And you're, if this is a visual effects thing, as a as a line producer, I need to know that that explosion is, you know, is it practical or is it post? Mm-hmm. Because if it's post, I need a VFX person now. Mm-hmm. If it's practical, I need a special effects person now. <laughs> or I need to tell them like, no, no fire on set. <laughs> um, you know, so, including all of these courses was really so that when you're going through making a movie, you can be like, oh, I wonder how, I wonder how that trick would work. Oh, they have a VFX section. Let's see if they cover it, you know? Um, But keeping it short so that you weren't like sitting there for 90 minutes (laughs) waiting for the information to pop up.
0: I think that's awesome. That's so great. Especially, Yeah. yeah. We just came from um, a year and a half of online school. So like, I mean, it's very different because this is like for like on the go stuff. But even like we had some teachers who would give us modules and it would be like hours over an hour and we're just sitting there. Like, did we (laughs) miss the thing? Did we just learn it? Did we come up yet? You know, and it's, so I think that's awesome. And it fits the name pocket. Like it's in your pocket. I like Yeah, that's good. We really
1: tried to lean into that and, you know, we wanted, we wanted it to be a memorable name. We mm. wanted it to be something literal and something that kind of made us laugh as well, right? And, um, you know, I, I took one online course at university and I, I, I took one that required engagement. It was a course about second life. So, like, you had to go in and have an avatar. You had to experience oh. second life. Like, the entire course literally was hosted in second life, So like you had no, like I didn't, I never would have survived. I am so proud and impressed with anybody that got through school in the last 18 months because I for sure would have been like just tearing up textbooks and going like, like I give up. Um, So I'm I'm so impressed because the spirit of what we did was like, let's keep it short because none of us have ever, like we would never sit down for more than like 15 minutes to watch something
0: even 15 minutes is like oh my
1: god it's a stretch it's a stretch that's like 15 tiktoks Uh, (laughs) depending on the length that could be yeah it could be from like 15 to 20 30 yeah unless you get stuck in a live loop and then all of a sudden you're just like why am i in this person's house i never wanted this (laughs) why am i watching this man eat why has he been fasting for twenty three hours? And I'm watching him pour mustard on watermelon. Ew,
0: <laughs> that's gross.
1: Right? But yeah. But you get me. I do get <laughs> you. <yeah. laughs> um.
0: So previously, you mentioned that you're not a meteorologist, and this no. green screen behind you, which is blue, which
1: is cool, is used yeah. for self tapes and stuff. Indeed, you know you want to talk? Indeed, about? it is. Sure, I can. It's from Amazon, it was very affordable. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's a little self-tape alien setup back there. So part of my journey over the last 12 years, since I graduated from Randolph, um, I moved right into film, Mm -hmm. and it it was partially because the economic crisis had just hit, and Mm -hmm. I knew that the first thing that gets pulled uh, in any kind of economic downturn with the arts. And uh, I also had all these other curiosities, but I I did know that I needed to expand my horizons. So uh, of course I went to university and time moves really quickly. I've always been an entertainer at heart. I've always been an actor and a singer and a dancer. And so over the last 12 years, I've done it here and there. I, I dance a lot at like salsa bars and I would like every movie I made, her name was Frances. Uh Francis would appear uh for a couple of years there. And there's Nurse Francis, there was psychologist Dr. Francis. Um <laughs> yeah, group therapy Francis. Like she was around. Francis, oh, robot Francis in, okay. in companionship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like Francis was a thing. So I was always sort of performing here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but about two years ago, I just sort of sat back and went, you know what? Producing in Canada is really hard, and you have to be willing to be known as the person that gets money and not have as much development time. And it, it I was losing the creativity that I loved about being a filmmaker. And so mm-hmm. I sort of sat back and went, I have pocket films one, I'm really proud of it. And if I'm going to produce, then I, I need to be doing it as a sustenance mm-hmm. instead of a love for it. So though I really love producing content, I have sort of, fallen back on wanting to produce features or wanting to produce TV exclusively and really make more space. Because all of us know that once you focus on one thing, other things start to be a little more challenging to give time to. And I really wanted to give time to my performance. So um, I sort of pulled back on my narrative producing. I produce commercials because they're whip quick. You get to work with some really cool teams. It lasts a day. Mm -hmm. It is an excellent avenue uh, to pay rent. There's a roof over my head, uh, and it it gives me the freedom to do self tapes and to audition for things and to get back into entertaining as a performer, which is something that, like I said I've been dabbling here and there with Francis, but we've put Francis away <laughs> from now. Now, now I am just me. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's why I have that meteorologist <laughs> screen you know? It's cool. It makes for conversation. <laughs> it is. Well, listen, I moved to a small town uh, when, when the pandemic hit, I decided uh-huh. that uh, I have too much hair to be in a bachelor apartment in a city. I just needed <laughs> to be outside. You know what I mean? Like I had to get out. So I, I found this tiny little house up in Port Perry. I'm in like the, the burbs. Mm-hmm. The burbs. <laughs> she in the burbs right now. And let me just give you a sense of how burby it is. And this will tie into meteorology i'm out for a walk with my dog uh-huh.
0: there are a
1: couple neighbors also keeping in mind myself and my my boyfriend curtis bring the average age down by about half a century <laughs> <laughs> oh my right, God. Here, right so we have some cute neighbors and i run into one of them on my walk and he goes oh um you work in tv and i was like sure <laughs> it's not wrong i do make broadcast tv commercials okay
0: like
1: what happened to the weather girl on CTV? And I was like, just you think. <laughs> I was like, gosh, are, I don't know. Are we worried? Cause well, she just disappeared. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Um, I don't really know the career trajectory of a meteorologist <laughs> on broadcast. Like, oh no, they're not meteorologists. They um, just do the weather. Oh, like, Well, okay. they, I've learned something and, um, it's nice to see you. So, Come on,
0: AJ, you don't know what happened to the weather girl? I don't know.
1: I don't, I don't even know who he's talking about.
0: I kind of want to know what happened. <laughs> I'm
1: like, well, I'm like, are we worried? Is this a scandal? Like, what it was just more like she's probably gotten another job. And if she wasn't a meteorologist, maybe she didn't want to tell the weather anymore because she wanted to be, you know, on a different, she wanted to be sitting at the view or beside Marilyn Dennis and not yeah. pointing at, you know, rain clouds. They do more than that, of course. But yeah, this—that's a little slice of life from uh, my current reality outside these walls. That's exciting. Anyways, I should show them this picture and tell them I'm the new meteorologist. (laughs) CTV.
0: They might believe you.
1: He might. They have no idea. I make movies. Oh, have I seen one? (laughs) I don't know. Do you watch movies? (laughs) Maybe you have.
0: Before I get into like, the actual other questions, um, yeah. I was on Twitter one day and I saw this commercial and it was like, I can't remember, but it was like this thing for teeth.
1: And then you were there and
0: I was like, oh my
1: God, it's ages. Yes. It's so cool. For a solid six weeks, I was spamming and <laughs> I had no idea. I was like, oh, cool. Booked a job. Sweet, 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 sweet. <laughs> and then it was everywhere. Twitter. Wow. And like that's really cool. Like, as a performer, it, it felt really great. Um, but I had no idea. And it was for the Ontario Dental Association. So I have people that I haven't talked to in years being like, can you stop spamming my Twitter feed? And I was like, go to the dentist. You know, yeah. clearly the algorithm is telling you something. It's not my fault. Okay. That the ODA really is <laughs> not buying toothpaste from an illegal vendor on Amazon. That's all they're saying. Anyways. Yes, that was me. You're welcome.
0: <laughs> that was great. You did spam. Like there's like Maybe a few weeks where all I saw was the
1: commercial. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. So you do movies and there is one called Poor Agnes. Yes. Um, Murder
1: type of a movie. Tell us about it. What, like, what's it about? Yeah. I mean- Poor Agnes is... One of those films that sit in the um category of things i'm very proud of so we had very little budget um less than a commercial much less than a commercial would get we had 12 days and the premise of of the film was you know about a female serial killer that sort of laid low and she trapped men and and killed them inside her house So a relatively simple sort of approach to a story, but we were flipping this idea of what a serial killer was on its head. A lot of horror movies are male centric in Mm -hmm. terms of, you know, it's the man doing the killing or the women are always victims. And this one was very much not the case. I mean, Laura Burke, who in real life is actually very sweet. Yeah, she's, I believed her, you know what I mean? Like she just killed people like in the movies. But um, poor Agnes did really well. We uh, drove to Thunder Bay, shot the entire thing in Thunder Bay over the course of two weeks. And uh, Sydney Cowper was our editor. She just absolutely slaughtered this edit in like the best way I could ever use that word. And the way she and she formulated the story and Navin Ramaswaran was our director and, and the two of them were able to put it together where it was a really effective and terrifying movie to watch because it's, a, it's about, you know, isolation. It's about, you know, taking back the paradigm of, of where women stand in these stories. And yeah, we had a lot of fun making it. It was really hard mm-hmm. five years ago, actually, this, this September, October that we, we shot it and we premiered at Fantasia in, um, 2017. And we actually won best Canadian feature at Fantasia that year, which was really cool. And Laura has gone on to win a number of performance awards. Um, cause it was just one of those movies where like, I still have a group chat from poor Agnes with the makeup artist and the two leads, because we all had to share a house um. together. We all, we all live together and we still have a group chat going that we still talk to each other because, you know, we we created this bond over the fact that uh, we were doing something insane. Mm -hmm. And I was the line producer. I was the AD. um, I was training students out of the college in Thunder Bay. They were our PAs and, and our technicians, you know, like we went up there with, it was me, uh, my co-producer who was also production managing my uh director dp a first ac and three actors and a makeup artist who was also our wardrobe person uh on this on site there were nine of us that went up and then we collected people um people that work in audio in thunder bay came out um then we had students from the college Mm -hmm. Um, and help us out so i did a lot of training on the day i did but like we're talking like 16 17 hour days in a farmhouse in thunder bay which if you've never been to thunder bay it's such a beautiful place when you look at it but it's very quiet Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it's like the perfect place to make a horror movie (laughs) but like you know this movie it's the it's not the actual movie you think about on films like that in the indie world at least for me it's the people you were surrounded by. I think I've probably already said this. Like you know, I, I was really grateful. Oh our, our writer came as well. There, I knew there were 10 of us. Um, you know like it, it was the people. It was the fact that our makeup artist Megan Fraser and, and myself slept in the open basement, or she was on the pullout or on a blow-up mattress, and I literally slept at her feet on a smaller blow-up mattress. And like the two actors had the upstairs bedroom and then there was one other bedroom that went to our first AC. And like, that's how we lived. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, our production designer came too. Oh shit. I'm going to have to list them out again. It's fine. <laughs> it was five years ago. Steph was there. Um, but you know, like we, we had to believe in each other. Mm-hmm. We had to they had to trust me. That was another thing is there was a huge element of when you're leading an indie film like poor Agnes, you have to ensure that everyone that's following you trusts that you're going to take care of them. That means you're going to feed them Mm -hmm. more than once. You're going to acknowledge that they're working long hours and make sure that no one's driving home you know, like investing in the safety of people, both emotionally and physically. will it matters because at the end of the day, the people you work with, like as a leader, they're not going to remember what you did. They're going to re- remember how you made them feel. Yes. And that is so much more important to me. Like I, I think I can count on like one hand, how many times I've actually raised my voice at somebody, but meaning like someone pushed a boundary and I I had to like really push back. But usually I really dislike that approach because I don't want to be remembered as someone that yells. Mm -hmm. Now I have a little bit of a laser lobotomy. It's like, I don't have to raise my voice, but like, you can feel me looking at you if you're uh, (laughs) wrong. But you know, like I, I really, really work hard to ensure that the environment you're working in is a safe space. And and that's where I, I do believe a lot of my success has come in terms of the narrative space and, and even in the commercial world is that I'm really invested in protecting the people that come out, regardless of the scale they're making. And I am more inclined to bring people out who maybe don't have as much experience because they are going to be more pleasant to be around because they're not there for their free meal and their $500. So that's poor Agnes.
0: <laughs>
1: what, a, what a wild ride it was. Mm-hmm. That sounds like
0: very close. You're a very close house. That's like, that's an
1: experience. That's a, yeah. That's an, I don't even know what else, like it's an experience, very good experience. Bonding, it's bonding is what it is. Yeah. I can also tell you that we had two houses for a crew and, um, and one house we filmed in. And of the three houses, uh, we broke two toilets. Oh, my that's God. also, how? <laughs> how, like how does one break a toilet? To this day, we've never been like, that guy you know we've always been like yikes toilet broke you know but we did it and those are the things that we still talk about (laughs) you know you talk about the things that bonded you less about the story (laughs) that's fun Mm.
0: yes that's a fun story hey you know last time we shot that thing we broke a toilet that's a fun story
1: i also (laughs) i also think I, i might have accidentally gotten married in thunder bay yeah, you want to hear you want to hear a fun story, and I'm not I'm not being serious, but let me give you the Coles notes real quick. Uh, we were filming on a property, quite a large property, that had a um, a back piece to it that held had all these old cars and a big old old shed, uh, and a, it's like an it looks like it used to be like an auto clinic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we we're there one day, and I, most of the people I've traveled up to Thunder Bay are not rural they're all city nice. folks and this guy in a big truck with a long duck dynasty beard <laughs> cruises onto the property mm-hmm. and in his passenger seat is a shotgun oh wow and he pulls on i have no idea who this guy is we've been given the whole property like the we we've paid for it the owners have gone away for two weeks no worries oh. and he cruises on very confidently and then he gets out, and my co-producer, who was actually from Thunder Bay, so he had a little bit more of a sense of what was going on. But this guy gets out of his truck, and he's sort of, like, crutching, and he's got his hand behind his back. Mm-mm. And so all of us are like, <laughs> is he holding a gun right now? Um, and so Ryan, my co-producer, walks up, and he's like, man, like, what are you doing? And he's looking at it, like, "You're, in a... like, what do you mean, what am I doing? He's like, whoa, 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 dude, like, where, what are you doing? He goes, oh, and he turns around. And he's holding his back. He's like, sorry, like my back hurts. Is everything okay? He's like, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a gun in your truck? He goes, oh, yeah. And he's like, I, I'm here to monitor the, the bear population. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'd like some more details, please. Um, he's like, yeah, yeah. So I, I just post up in this little shed and I'm, I'm here to monitor. I'm like, cool, dude. Be free. <laughs> I don't- Cool. So anyways, we go back inside. We start setting up. Periodically, I look out the window and this guy's got pumpkins that he's filling with seeds and literally lining down the driveway like our exit from this farm. And so I walk outside and I'm like, hi, question. Um, this looks like you're baiting them. Yeah. Like this <laughs> looks like we're, like we're baiting the bears. And he's like, he's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm monitoring like, okay, next question. Um, are you going to be firing like a like a gun on this property and he looks at me like i've just accused him of murder he goes i would never fire a gun he's like i'm in within city limits i'm like oh silly me my bad you know i don't know how we monitor bears in thunder bay he goes he goes i i use a crossbow i was like even better you know i'm like Okay. Okay. I'm with you. Sure. Okay. Sure. Anyway, so we shoot all day. At one point, he offers our production designer a vat of blood. We didn't tell him what kind of movie we were making. Like none. We didn't give him any information. He just knew we were making a movie. And so she was like, "Mm, thank you. you, But uh, I think I'll pass. (laughs) Where's that blood from, sir? Anyways, a couple days go by and we're about to film on the back part of the property and we all kind of smell something. So I'm like opening doors. Well, there's a bear pelt being stretched out. Cool cool, 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 No, this is fine. Everything's fine. Totally fine. Uh, and then I looked around and there's a deer being blood. So that's where you've shot a deer. You have to hang it up and the coyotes don't get it. So it's in a cage. And I'm like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> like I have actors, bless their souls. But they're from Toronto. Like, what if they've never seen anything like this? My <laughs> like, God, what if they're vegans? And <laughs> what am I going to do? Anyways, so I, I'm giving this guy the gears about, like, how he has to, like, let me know this stuff. Like, I love that whatever you're doing is whatever and you're allowed to be here. It's not my property. I don't care. She's like, like, tell me. So maybe I can reschedule around your dead animals in the back. Um, anyways, so on... On our last day of shooting, where we've wrapped everything up, everything is done. We're about to go home. And I'm inside, probably, you know, wrapping cables, and I hear a truck pull up, like a it was a loud truck, and then I hear someone shout my name. Oh my gosh. Like he's someone calling for me, and I'm like, okay. So I go outside. The producer and the DP are like wrapping up shooting. <laughs> and here's this guy, full beard. He's put on his best plaid, Aww. and he's <laughs> he's holding a cut of meat that has my name on it.
0: Oh my god!
1: Yeah, he goes, "This is for you." <laughs> and then he, I said, "Thank you." And then he drove away. <laughs> since that day, everybody jokes that that was a betrothal. Like I just, like I got married. Oh. I was that was me accepting a proposal. So, you know, I haven't told my live-in boyfriend yet because <laughs> there hasn't been the right opportunity. So I'm just going to send him this podcast and tell him to listen to it. But no, like, that's like, like where, where, where else does that happen? You know what I mean? Like, it's only on a film set where you can be like, oh, yeah, no. And like, there are people, I'm not making this up. Like, you can call, you can call my sources. I was not alone. <laughs> like People watched it happen. Anyways.
0: So I'm guessing wow. it was bear meat, right?
1: <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't even ask. I wouldn't
0: have asked either.
1: <laughs> no, I just politely had my name on it. You know, it was a gift.
0: And you didn't say anything else. That's so weird.
1: Literally nothing. <laughs> what a mysterious man. And this is for you. <laughs> well. Monitoring bear population like i'm that's my new title moving forward bear monitor interesting
0: i've never heard that before it's because it's
1: not real definitely
0: (laughs) definitely (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of, now that's like suspicious. That's sketchy.
1: I mean, listen, it is Thunder Bay. It's where hunting is very normal there. And it's very uh, healthy for the environment up there. And so I know what he was doing. (laughs) But from the inside out, I was like, this is a very strange. Yeah. Like there are no life skills I was given as a kid to know how to interact with this situation. So you're just going to get sarcasm and curiosity. (laughs) You know? Gonna be the name of my autobiography.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a perfect story and note to wrap up the interview. Except, like, like wrap up the interview, interview. But since we're called, I watched that, and we usually talk about what we watch.
1: What have you been watching lately? You know. Ooh, what have I been watching lately? Um, because TikTok went totally alive with it. I did watch some of Sex Life. Um <laughs> <I'm> me too. <laughs> Out of pure curiosity, now I need to know if it's a prosthetic, so that's going to be some waste of time on the internet. Oh. Um, <laughs> what else have I been watching? I watched – I like. I really like Eliza Schlesinger. I hope I'm saying her name right. The comedian. She just had a movie come out um, that was really good. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Superstore fan. Oh. I watch a lot of Superstore. I watch a lot of Parks and Rec. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm a big fan of the like 20 minute sitcom Mm -hmm.
0: because
1: life moves so fast. (laughs) Like you should just watch something really quickly that makes you laugh and makes you feel good and move on. And I I think the writing on Superstore is so so underrated. Like it is such a funny show. It's exceptionally diverse. You know, like it's so well done. So I think that that would be my answer. That and I'm watching a lot of it's F1 season. So, Formula One for those of us that don't. Okay. Pay attention yeah, to- I know.
0: I know what it is. <laughs> I've heard someone actually say that they watch it though.
1: Yeah. Oh, like someone openly admit it? Yeah, I don't. Never- <laughs> <laughs> I am who I am. You know, I'm, uh, I've got a couple of different angles to me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that. And I'm watching Charlotte Dobray on YouTube. If you want to watch some like hysterical 10 minute, <laughs> she's great. Her and Julie Nolke. Okay. Give those, give those ladies some love.
0: Oh, yeah. I know that. I know that person. Yeah. I do not. we will check them out. Um, so. That's So you think it's a prosthetic?
1: Maybe. Yeah, I do. I just... I, just <laughs> I have no it. idea what's happening right <laughs> now. <laughs> no, Kyle, you want to know. So you're going to go to this episode and you're going to watch this scene. I encourage you to watch it with your parents if they're around.
0: I'd I rather not... <laughs> <laughs> I avoid it as much as possible. Actually, mm-hmm.
1: episode three, nineteen minutes in, I think nineteen fifty. I hate myself. Do you know how many things I need to remember? Do you have any idea how much work all of us are sitting on, staring at things I need to memorize, names I need to know, and that's what's taking up. That's space. the the
0: time code you're about.
1: To like that is what is living rent free in the front of my brain instead of say a call time for a shoot. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? yeah, watch it alone <laughs> just saying
0: oh, well this has been
1: great yeah. thank you both so much for having me out well no, thank fun. you this is so cool it's like i see you over there and now you're like here it's awesome that makes sense. And, and so i am <laughs> yeah. it'll, it'll leave everyone to wonder what over there is come find <laughs> me over there i'll see you over there uh,
0: Well, thank you, AJ. Uh, I was say anna Jane, AJ, okay, yeah. Thank you, AJ. It was great. Both are right. (laughs) It was great to have you. We appreciate it. Your time
1: is um, precious. So thank you. Thank you both. This was really fun.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, AJ. That was amazing. Thank you. That was our interview with Anna-Jade Edmonds. Thank you for joining us on this episode. And thank you to Winnie Wong for making this possible. For real, For and I will be back. We'll be going on break, but we'll be back soon with a new season full of MCU dedicated episodes. Don't forget us. We'll be back.